0: This is the Command Your Brand podcast, where we talk to world changers, visionaries, and founders. People that are doing big things and changing this planet in a positive way. We're learning their stories, techniques, and exactly what you need to know so that you can do things in a big way. The time is now. Get ready to take command of your brand. Jeremy here. And guys, I'm very excited for the conversation we have today. We have Rob Napolitano from Grit Partners, and we're going to be taking a look at how to protect your wealth in one of the biggest wealth transfers in history. It's a very interesting time period we're living in. And I think there's a lot of things you need to know about it so you don't be affect of that situation, be effective in that situation. So Rob, thanks for hanging out with me today, man.
1: Hey, thanks, Jeremy. I appreciate the time. I appreciate the opportunity. I appreciate everybody that's taking the time to listen in on what we're about to talk about today.
0: So let me ask you this, Rob, because you have a different kind of mindset on things than a lot of people that are helping others to protect their wealth, to build wealth and things like that. And I guess a little bit from your background, I guess your life experience has taught you to look at those things differently. So tell me a little bit about kind of the experience you've had in life and what's caused you to look at wealth
1: differently. Not getting too long-winded and stuff. I guess I can go back to my early days in grammar school. I was always the kid that ended up in detention for getting into fights in the schoolyard, not because I was a troublemaker, but because I was always beating up a bully who was beating up on the guy that couldn't defend himself. So I found myself plenty of times after school in detention. I'm being proud of it because it was my friends that couldn't defend themselves. And, you know, I stepped in and did what I could to help them out. And I guess that kind of just transmutated into my business and my life. And I was always out there trying to help those that couldn't help themselves. I mean, it was in during the crash of uh, 2008 and 2009 where the big subprime crash happened and I've been real estate investing for 20-something years now. So going through that crash, I had to learn how to reinvent myself. I actually lost everything I had, went through a bankruptcy back then, helping other people. At that point, I was doing a lot of door knocking for people that were in foreclosure and helping people to fight off the big banks that were illegally foreclosing. And again, beating up on the little guy who was losing their home and doing it in uh, unfair ways and breaking the rules. I went to Law school to become a paralegal, learned how the legal process worked, and I started training attorneys on how to put up some defenses in court for some of these people. And we ended up doing, I don't know, probably three to 4,000 cases in the course of two or three years. And I learned so much about how the insides of the banking system in that world works. And I realized that it's not so easy the way they got things set up and the game is somewhat rigged and it is hard for the little guy to beat up on the big guy. But I knew that was a place that I wanted to be. And so when people start gathering their wealth and I look at the system and how the system is rigged for people, make it difficult for people to create and sustain wealth, I wanted to take part in that battle now. And here I am trying to educate people in what it is and what it takes for you know, uh, to maintain wealth, to gather your wealth, maintain wealth, and really sustain it over time. So that's where my fight is now today.
0: It's interesting too, because you mentioned like how the banking works and how it's rigged against a lot of people as well. Like you look at a lot of what happened in 2008 with the subprime mortgage crisis and a lot of these different things. These banks were dubbed too big to fail. And instead of letting it become more individual smaller banks, which would make sense, they once again gave money to bigger banks, protected the big guys and things like that. So it's not really set up for the individual investor in a lot of ways. And I guess going through the experience you went through there, what particular things did you learn that kind of made you look at, I guess, investing in the banking industry differently?
1: So it's funny. The one thing that I learned was the old adage, we can't beat them, join them, right? So we joined the banking side, but we decided we we're going to do this in a better way. And so what we ended up doing once we were fighting them head on with the attorneys, we found that we were doing a lot of heavy lifting and not getting anywhere. I expunged all of my wealth and all of my income. Like I said I actually went into a bankruptcy, that's a story for another day, but I actually profited sure. Sure. out of my bankruptcy because I went in, I fought the big banks on a couple of my cases as well. I actually won. They ended up paying me wow. and paying wow. off all my creditors. I paid off everybody and had the bank do it. And I said, Wow, if I can do this this is cool that other people... We have It's use.
0: like walking a dog, man. Yeah,
1: yeah sure. <laughs> Just like walking a dog, except the dog is, you know, 20 times bigger than you, and they're usually dragging you by the leash. But then you realize, if you tug the leash... I, I had a 100-pound win.
0: German Shepherd at one time, man. That was yeah. tough. <laughs> yeah, it's
1: tough. But if you pull on the leash, it actually can work. We're just intimidated by it, right? We don't know any yeah. better. We yeah. learn as we go, and we think, well, it just can't be because we're just so pre-programmed in our mind that if the system is meant to be that they're winners, and we're not supposed to be the winners. But that's not true at all. So I found way. And then I actually got into it. Here's what I realized, right? And this is Mm -hmm. truly what I believe that the banks and the insurance companies run the world. Forget about government, leadership, and everything else. Banks and insurance companies. Just think about it. Okay. For simple insurance, you have to have insurance on your car before you get in the car and drive. Why? Because the insurance company says so. Why? Because in case you get into a car accident, they're the ones that are gonna to have to pay. So they dictate. When you have an ailment and you gotta go into the, the emergency room, they ask you for your name and then your insurance card. Right? They don't know if they're gonna treat you yet. They don't know what's wrong with you first. They just wanna know yeah. if, can you yeah. pay first? If we, you know, which category are we putting you in? That you are actually having an insurance company gonna pay, or are we gonna to have to float the bill here?
0: Well, even on the financial side, you look at companies like you know, State Street and BlackRock and a lot of these like They own countries,
1: man. So they tell you what to do. (laughs) exactly right. We start with the banks, the insurance companies, run everything, and you learn the game, how they play it, and then how they actually manipulate us. They manipulate us because of what they give us, which is theirs, is the currency. The dollar that we use, that are in our pockets every day, that we use to transact business every day, that's what they use in order to manipulate us and to try to control us. So if you understand the game and how the rules are played then you can actually find a pathway to say, hey, I can play this game and I can use those rules and that game and that sandbox to my advantage so that I can get ahead. And there are winners in this game, not everybody. Mm -hmm. And we're trying to get more people to go from what they traditionally understand to what's really uncommon in order to make it to that end game and become ultimately financially free.
0: So let me ask you this then, like how are those rules different, right? Because I feel like we're all taught, you know, those... I don't know, man. I get aggravated with the whole Dave Ramsey investing model. You know, don't buy Starbucks. I like Starbucks, Rob. I enjoy it. I'm not going to go not have coffee to make money. That's just stupid to me. And I guess, so what are the investing rules we should be thinking of?
1: So there's one thing that I always talk about, right? And one thing that I truly, it drives me nuts is these traditional financial advisors, okay? And so almost like a Dave Ramsey as well, who's looking for a consumer. And there's a difference. It really is a difference between being a consumer and an investor, Einstein said it best, and I love it, and I actually have it on a lot of my materials, that compound interest is the eighth wonder of the world. Those who understand it, earn it. Those that don't, pay it. Right. And there's the distinction between a consumer and an investor. Dave Ramsey talks to the consumers. We're just going to teach you how not to get into so much debt. But there's not teaching you how to actually not only get out of debt, but move to the other end of the spectrum and actually create some wealth to get financially free, which is what everybody wants anyway. So, yes, it is frustrating because, Dave, there's more to the story than just let's not get into debt. There's more to it. And he's not telling people. And the same thing goes with traditional financial advisors. Okay, they're trained in order to give you traditional stocks, bonds and cash. And there's a whole other world out there something that we call we do we call harvesting and that's what the really sophisticated investors do they go out and harvest other people's mistakes and they make fortunes and if you see what's going on today in the world as i said to what we're experiencing today is one of the greatest wealth transfers in our time. And they happen over the course of humanity, okay? There have been uh, regime changes, world currency changes. This is nothing new. We haven't seen it in our lifetime. But this, if you look back through history, what we're going through is nothing more than a cycle. It's just that we happen to see the change in the cycle in our lifetime. And this is the time when a lot of positioning gets done, a lot of jockeying gets done, and there are big winners and big losers at the same time. So it's important for everybody to pay attention now especially in our times with what's going on and how to make those moves and understand beyond the Dave Ramseys of the world that there's more than just don't buy Starbucks.
0: Well, let me ask you this, Rob, and you can correct me on this if I'm wrong because you probably know the year closer than I do because you study this stuff a little bit closer than I do. But I think it was the financial panic of 1873. They say there was like the most billionaires that came out of that because a lot of people run away from it. Smart investors actually figure out what to run towards. And I guess when we're looking at that, like, how can wealth actually be created in a downturn? And you know, what should we be changing our mindset and what we invest in?
1: Most wealth is always created in downturns. Mm. And I'll give you a simple example. Let's say we went to a pizza shop and ordered a pizza pie, right? And it's cut into eight slices and there's 12 people there. Well, the more you have people that want the demand of the one pie, the less everybody's going to get. Correct. But let's say for whatever reason, something happened outside and everybody rushes out everybody leaves. And you're the last one there, Jeremy. How much of the pie do you have now?
0: I got all of it, man.
1: Exactly. So let's <laughs> think of it in terms of hunger, right? We have this hunger, yeah. we want to satisfy our hunger, we need to be satiated. Okay. And the pizza is what we want. When you have more people with a the demand there, you're going to get less satisfaction. But when everybody runs, that's when you satisfy your hunger. And investing in the stock market is very similar. When everybody panics and runs out of the market, those that have the will to stay and not get distracted by what's outside and what everybody else is doing, those that have the will to stay and the stomach to stay will be satisfied. And that's what makes the difference, being contrarian and not following the crowds. And it's not easy to do. It is not an easy thing to do because we're programmed. We're programmed to be socially accepted by doing what everybody else does. So it's a difficult thing to do, but it can be done.
0: So let me ask you this then, because we've talked about kind of the model of what the consumer's taught versus what the investor's taught. And when we're looking at it, how should debt be viewed in terms of investing? Like what should we be considering when we're looking at debt?
1: So that is a philosophical question. And I can go on for hours about this. (laughs) There are certain philosophies that look at debt as evil. And there are certain philosophies that look at debt as powerful.
0: Well, modern monetary theory like only wants to make debt. So I guess if you could look at it that well, way, too. I mean, again, and because of
1: who is benefiting from the new debt? Mm-hmm. The banks and not the users or the consumers. Again, unless you understand the game and what you got to do that the banks do. Yes. In the modern monetary theory and what's going on with the printing of money, with all the central banking going on, the common man is the one that loses and the big players in the banks win. Okay? And look... It goes beyond the money. What most people don't talk about, especially these traditional financial advisors with Dame Ramsey's in the world, because i keep going back on that because you and I agree, those are the guys, we got to get more information out there for people to help people. Correct. They don't talk about it. The most important thing is the risk, the risk of loss. Let's go back to the pizza example. Let's say mm-hmm. everybody ran out and you had the whole pizza. and You say, well, I'm not going to eat this whole thing here. Let me just pack it up in a box and go. Well, If you just pack it up and go, what's the risk of you walking out the door and getting your butt kicked because everybody wants a piece of the pie that they thought was theirs and you're taking it? No one thinks about that,
0: right? It's like me feeding my ducks in the morning. My ducks eat different food than my chickens. So if I don't feed them farther enough away from the chickens, there comes the rooster running to eat that food because he sees, oh, there's only two ducks at that.
1: I'm going to go get that. That's exactly right. So what people don't think about is they think about, you know, oh, here's how I can make more money. That's good. But you also need to be thinking about, okay... How do I keep it? What are the risks of me losing it? I need to be prepared for this. So in case it does happen, I'm not caught off guard. And so what we're seeing today with all of the money printing with another package for Ukraine or another package for reducing inflation, all this stuff prints more money. And the risk that we're taking that we have no control over is that we are having our wealth eroded by no fault of our own. Because governments are directing the feds to print more money and the banks win more because some of the risks that they have on their balance sheets is being socialized to us, the taxpayers, through the process of printing money and inflation. So we're taking on more risk and we have no control over it. That's what I'm saying. It's a rigged game. We have no control over that. So we have to figure out a way, well, how do the banks get ahead of the rate of inflation? Because now I need personally to grow my wealth faster than it's eroding. And that's a game that we play.
0: So how do we flip that position then? Like, what do we look at? What information are we consuming? Where are we looking? Because obviously, like, it's a rig game. This is how the banks do it. They don't want everybody to know this, right? Like, they don't want everybody to know, like, these are the rules to our game. So, like, where do we even find these rules and what are they?
1: No one's going to tell you the rules. I'm going to tell you a little bit about them. But again, we only have a of <laughs> time. But I can, go on, I can yeah. go on for hours and days and weeks about this stuff. But no one typically is going to tell you about this. I'll tell you one thing. Here's what you shouldn't be listening to politicians. Okay?
0: Politics, Wait, are you saying that because they tell me one thing when they want to get elected and do something else once they're elected? No, I'm going to what the
1: purpose of politics. <laughs> There's a purpose to politics for us as people and citizens. The sure. purpose of politics is to subvert your emotions so that it can reap your production. Mm-hmm. That's it. If you think about that, yeah. you're here to subvert your emotions, get you riled up, so they can reap your production, means they can take from you and you will believe that's a good thing when they take from you. That's the purpose of politics.
0: I never looked at it like that.
1: Who are they being puppeteered by? The banks and the insurance companies. So when you watch the moves, of the banks and the insurance companies, the politicians will act as their puppeteer and the politicians will move to subvert your emotions so it can reap your production. Okay, so if you can get that Mechanism in your mind, so the, that
0: blows my mind because then, like, you start looking at things like there's this new rule. It's ESG, and this is where how we're going to do our investing rules. So the countries say, "Oh my gosh, we got to go green," and then the investment company says, "Yeah, green is good, but now we're making more money." So that's a really good point.
1: So let me tell you something. You bet on that because you hit a hot point in mine too. I can't stay. Well, let me. That's not true. I love ESG because as a human being, let's start with the beginning What is ESG? It yeah. stands for environmentally conscious. Socially conscious and to have uh, equality governing our corporations, environmentally, socially and governance. Great. And there is no real standard. This is just a talking point right now. There's no real standards. But from when I look into it, I look at it because we're ESG compliant as well. you got to comply with one of those three bullet points and you're compliant. Okay. And I look at this stuff. and I'm saying, what a load of crap this is. As a person, shouldn't we be taking care of our world anyway? Do I need to be told to do that? Right? Yeah. It's simple. Shouldn't we just throw our garbage in the garbage can? We were taught that when we were young. Hit the garbage can. Throw stuff out. Be respectful. Clean up after yourself. Right? I mean, I'm oversimplifying it, but these are what we're talking about. They should just be naturally a part of our nature as humans. Okay. Socially conscious. We should be. I was brought up to take care of my brethren. I was brought up to be good to those around you. Be nice. Be caring. Be thoughtful. Be giving. Right, So we should always be doing that. Okay, and governments. So we need to have equality inside of our boards and our corporations. Okay, absolutely. Everybody should be given a fair shot to have a good shot at life and doing well what they want and making money in life. Everybody should have that and it should be fair. okay? To have the government tell us that this is the things that we should be doing, my problem is they take something that's good natured and they form it into a narrative for them to make money and they bastardize... The good notion. That's my problem with ESG. Yeah. It's a great notion, but the politicians get a hand on it to manipulate it in a way for it to benefit themselves. And it loses its luster of what it really should stand for. Mm. So I digress. But you mentioned the ESG. It's <laughs> got my hot button with that, too.
0: It's important to understand that. And I guess, but I pulled you off the point of like, I guess, what are those rules then we should know? And I'm very guilty of that, by the way, Rob. I will go down any rabbit hole. You give me at least the slightest breadcrumb to take me to. Oh, but the same, so. looking at it, what are those rules then that banks know that we need to know so that we are kind of looking at these things the right way?
1: Hey, you want to know the number one rule? Own nothing and control everything. Own nothing, control everything. Let's go to real estate for a second. I'll give you the example of real estate. A perfect example. Let's talk about real estate investing. The most common thing of real estate investment, the most common thing is people who do fix and flip. They have a little bit of money. They go buy a fixer upper house. They go to a bank or a hard money lender, a private lender, get a loan to fix up the property. And then they go and sell it to a family and put it out for retail sale. Very common practice, okay? Mm-hmm. Well, let's look at the relationship between the investor and the bank on that deal. Because technically, they're partners. The bank is a silent money partner. They'll provide the capital to go out to get the materials, pay for the labor so that the dilapidated house can come into a beautiful Main Street superstar. Right. And that house can be sold. And the banker provides the capital to do that, okay? Okay. But who has the better part of that relationship, the banker or the investor? So let's say that one day the contractors don't show up to continue the project. Does the bank care? No, because the bank is earning its interest. Let's say a pandemic hits and no one's allowed out of their house and that house is now sitting there for two years. Does Mm -hmm. the bank care? No, the investor still has to pay their monthly interest. So what happens then if that investor can't make the payments anymore? Well, the bank will take back the house, find someone else, and sell it to somebody else who can make the payments. So who is really in control of the property when a bank is involved? The bank. The investor takes all the risk. All the risk of anything that can go wrong. And I just came up with two. What happens if you're in the middle of a project and a storm comes by in the tree, the branch on the tree falls down and cracks the roof and comes through the roof? Who's got to pay for all that now? The mm-hmm. investor. So there's all sorts of risks that are there.
0: Well, and you look at that too. I know we're both in New Jersey and we had a housing boom many years ago where these big builders, there's like five names of them here in New Jersey. They get halfway through these townhouse projects and
1: that was the end of it. That's exactly right. And so the banks take those back. So, and then they take it back and they capture all the upside, but they put very little money or very little risk. They put money in, they're making interest on their money. And at the same time, they're getting all the upside without taking any of the risk. So Mm -hmm. they have separated upside profit from downside risk. That's the key. And that's what I mean is that they go by, well, let's control everything without owning anything. And they do that through debt. That's one of the best ways that the banks do it is by putting money to work. Because everybody needs money. Nobody understands money. And let's certainly take money principles and fundamentals out of the schools. We can't educate people on how this stuff actually works. Because then they're going to catch on to our game and our scam. And we don't want everybody at the pizza pie. We want it for ourselves. So understand that owning nothing and controlling everything is the core by which they operate in everything. And if you can do that, control Without owning, that's how you get ahead. It's not easy to do, but it can be done.
0: So how do we do that as an investor then? Because you think of how you do it, like a lot of time with fractional lending, the banks only have so much, but they're lending out 10, 20, 100 times as much as they have. So they're kind of creating money and they're lending it out and it's debt. I can't do that, right? Somebody's just going to laugh at me and be like, you're actually not giving me anything. So I guess, how do you leverage that as somebody, as an investor?
1: It's knowledge at that point. You can do that. You may or may not know how to do that. We do it all the time. I mean, once we figured out how to do it, we put together a mechanism and a system and we do that now. I mean, we've lent money to people where, let's go back to fix and flip. It's very rare that you hear somebody do what's called gap financing, meaning that you got someone who's an investor who's got money and they have to put a down payment on the project and then they'll get their hard money. Typically, it's 25, 35% they got to do as a down payment. And sometimes they don't have it. So we've gone in at certain times, okay, we'll give you the 25 or 35% down payment. You're going to pay us a nice, healthy interest rate. We'll take a second lien position on the property. But I want X amount of the upside, right? And so that puts us in an amazing position because if they can't pay myself or the first lender, think about what I have here now. I have partial ownership, although I can escape that if I wanted to because I'm also a creditor. I take dual roles. I'm a creditor and an equity owner and a preferred equity owner, and I can take all voting rights. So I have control if I want to. So when I take control, I take control of the corporation, not so much of the property. So I can take control, get that person out, and now I've reaped the benefits of all of the efforts they put in. Let me give you an example of how I learned that, okay, from my mother. It's a good story. I'm first-generation Italian. My parents came into this country in the 60s off the boat, didn't even finish high school, broken English and no real education. And they became self-made millionaires through hard work. My father drove a bus in Manhattan for 40 years and my mother cut hair. But they knew to save. They knew how to be prudent with their money and they knew how to invest in real estate. And they became self-made millionaires over the course of time. The one story I'll remember, it was a big thing for them in 1984. They bought their first brand new Cadillac Coupe DeVille, the big boat. I don't know about you're too young to know that, but it was a big... Oh, no. There's songs about the Coupe DeVille, man. Come on. That's right. This big boat. It was huge. It was a big yeah. thing for them. And they said, you know, the first thing we're going to do, we get this car. We're going to drive the family down to Disney World because that's what everybody does in America. It's part of the American dream. And would you
0: imagine what that gas price would be like right now, driving that oh, Coupe DeVille from New Jersey right. to Florida, man?
1: So it was a two-day trip. And back then, you made a two-day trip. And it's still there, actually. When you cross the border from North Carolina to South Carolina, I-95, there's a place called South of the Border, okay?
0: Oh, South of the Border, man. I just took my three-year-old there last year.
1: Okay, so still there, all right? South yes. of the Border. It's not doing so hot anymore, but it's still there. Well, we might have to go and get that thing and it because that's an icon for my times, and everybody would stop there. I took my kids there a few years back as well. And so you stop there. You get up the next day, and you continue the trek. We were in about you know halfway through Georgia, and my father got tired and uh, pull over for my mother to drive. My mother drives for about an hour or so, gets over the border into Florida, stops the car and wakes everybody up. And in her Italian accent, she wakes everybody up and makes this point, a life lesson. She said, I want you to understand how important it was for your father to take you kids to Florida. Your father couldn't do it. Remember, your mother's here now, your mother took you to Florida. Your father could only take you to Georgia, but your mother took you to Florida, okay? (laughs) And that's, great. and that's the theme of our business where we go and we'll say that a real estate investor can't take a deal. takes it 90 percent of the way and can't go the last mm-hmm. 10 yards into the end zone. If we're there and pick up that deal and only have to do the last 10 percent of the work, but we'll reap all the benefits, just like my mother drove an hour and got all the credit for taking us to Florida. Well, there's a way of controlling without owning anything until the very end. And it's time to get paid. So there are many, many, many opportunities like that out there if you know how to look for them and where they are. But I learned that from my mother. Let everybody else do the work. And if they get to the finish line, great. But there are many people that can't get to the finish line. But it doesn't mean that what they've done and what they've produced is not valuable. And if you find opportunities like that where you can pick up and leverage off of somebody else's production and leverage that, tremendous opportunities. And banks do that all the time. Honestly, part of our strategy is we go back to the banks and use that strategy against them and pick up a lot of their assets that they can't complete. And we pick up a big discount as well. So we kind of take the strategy and turn it on them. Not many people are doing it, but we found a little niche to do that. It's great doing that as well. But there are opportunities out there. But it's first changing the mindset and not listening to the traditional ways that people make money because that's the same as everybody surrounding themselves with the same piece of pizza. When everybody's biting on it, everybody's going to get little. You got to look at the spots where nobody's there, nobody's doing it, and that's how you create the true wealth. And then you got to work on keeping it and not telling people about it.
0: And to somebody out there listening, man, if you heard this about South of the Border, Pedro needs help, man. Go invest in Pedro. (laughs)
1: Let's lend to the person or the group that's going to go and revitalize Pedro. That's what we need to do. Find the group that's going to do it and let's lend to them.
0: Absolutely. Well, Rob, this has been a great conversation for people listening. If they want to learn more about you and more about what you're doing at Grit Partners, what's the best place to go, man?
1: They can hit us up on the website at www.capturingtomorrow.com, or they can do a lot of stuff that we have on LinkedIn as well. My hashtag is Robert Napolitano, or linkedin.com slash Rob Napo. Find me there as well. We're going to be putting a lot of the stuff out there. We're doing a lot more education and teaching about how this non-traditional investing is out there. And now is the time to get involved with this.
0: Very cool. Well, Rod Napolitano, thank you so much for hanging out with me today, man.
1: Thank you, Jeremy. It was a pleasure. And I really appreciate you taking the time and putting some attention behind this subject matter. I appreciate you, man. You got it. Thanks.